ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you? Welcome to another episode of See You Next Tuesday <laughs> podcast. This is uh, episode 18, part, part two. two. You know what? I don't think we told him what episode it was oh, last time. Oh, shit. Well, last episode was 18. Part one. Now this is episode 18. Part two. We made it. We did it. We there did it is. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Jesse. I'm Amanda. And we cuss a lot. We, we drink a lot. We talk about true crime. That's what we do. I think that I think we covered it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Before we get started, I got some good news for you. Okay. What's up? Because I'm about to get into bad news. Ah. Okay, yeah. Give me good news first. So, you know, I have my two-year anniversary of my MS diagnosis. Oh, uh, yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or my hospitalization. Has it been two years? It's been two years. Wow. So I had an appointment with my neurologist, mm-hmm. and for two years I've been seeing her every three months. Oh my gosh! I now get to see her every six months. Oh my god, that's great news, dude! Yay! Yay. That's awesome. What'd she say? She said everything's looking well, um, and everything's going well. She likes how my medication's working. I'm not having any flare-ups or symptoms or anything. I'm. So she said we can move my appointments every six months. Dude, that is phenomenal news. Yay! I've been waiting to tell you. I had my appointment like a while, like a week ago or so. I'm glad you told me. This is big news. How do you feel? I mean, it's a sucky situation, but I'm so glad that I get to move my appointments every six months instead yeah. of having to see her every three months because I tend to drive a ways to see her. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's something to celebrate, you know? Mm-hmm. Getting everything kind of under control, which is huge. Yeah. Having more of a stable, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yay, whoop, whoop. good news, ready for the bad. Because <laughs> we can't leave it at that, ever. <laughs> see, I start you up here. And then I bring you way down here. It's like a, it's a roller coaster. You're going up the hill. You're like, yeah, this is so much fun. And then now we're going down the hill. Mm-hmm. Without going to Six Flags. Yeah. Is it even open anymore? It is because oh. Texas. Oh, that's right. My bad. I wonder if Six Masks Flags- are optional uh, as well as vaccines. And gun permits, apparently. Mm. Um. Yeah. So. Texas. Yeah. Celeste. Ready for her? Remember wait, her, everyone? Wait, you don't have any work stories for me? Oh, you want a work story? You're just gonna you're just gonna raw dog it like that? Like just go right into it? I thought I would do my MS story and we would move on. But yeah. you want a work story. I need I need some tea in my life. I don't think you understand. You are my real housewives. You are my Shaws of Sunset. This is where I get my drama, so please. Okay, so I thought this was kind of funny. I had a good laugh. I'm going to set the scene for you. Mm. I'm sitting at my desk. And right now, there's only a couple of us in our office because we kind of split up for COVID. And there's this one young girl. And if I was a teenage mom, which I'm not judging, shit happens. She could be my daughter. Okay. Okay. We don't like her. She can't do her job. She's mm. stupid. <laughs> Straight up. Home girl stupid. <laughs> and um, we were talking about how old she is. Like, 
I exaggerate, I'm a smart ass, I say shit like, well, I don't know, I mean, I guess she's like 22 or whatever. And then people like take that as fact. And I'm like, I don't know how old she is, bro. Yeah, you're just like, I'm just shooting shit. So I get on her um, Facebook page. I'm not Facebook friends with her, y'all. Okay. And I'm very rarely on Facebook. In fact, I don't post. Sometimes I jump on there to like scroll through and humor myself. So I search her on Facebook. And you gotta love people who don't believe in privacy settings. Yeah, oh God, yes, please. Live for that. <laughs> I love you. Don't change them. Please don't. So I jump on there to see if her birthday is on there to get her real age. And I see... Ready for this? How old is she? Her date, her birthday wasn't there. Okay. But... Oh God, I should pull this up for you. I don't know why you're not. <sighs> I'm slow on the draw. So I see this thing, and I jump up, I run to the other people's desks, and I'm like a four-year-old on Christmas, and, and I'm like, mind. losing my shit, y'all. <laughs> I may have eaten a Delta 8 gummy. Um, <laughs> I mean, who among us? Um, I'm like, y'all, y'all, look at this, look at this. Don't click on it, because it's an actual story. Okay. Okay. Her cat is wearing a blue dress with a pink bow. What? Oh my god. That cat, look, it's a cute cat though. What is happening? If you dress your I'm gonna cat- scroll up. I wanna see what she looks like. Okay. Wait, so she has two cats and a dog? Oh, hmm. well. Or is that, are those like others, other animals? So I think that cat is the same. Oh no, there's two cats in that picture. So that you, one's definitely the one with the dress, though. Yeah, that cat is no longer on Earth. Oh, let me tell you about that cat. Oh, there's a story. <laughs> so, oh. homegirl's vegan. Okay. Because um, it's cruel to eat animals. Um, vegans, I don't give a shit. But um, she won't drive a car with leather. Okay. But she's only vegan when it's convenient for her. Got it. Um, like, she doesn't make, she talks about being poor a lot. So, she doesn't worry about, like, her hair care products because she might not be able to afford the vegan hair care products, so she overlooks that. Okay. But driving in a car with leather seats, no go. Right. Does she ever eat, like, fish or shit? Like, no. Okay. So, it's just, I mean, the stories. It's, it's just convenient for her. Yes. So, what about this cat? You have a cat story? Yes. So, the cat was having some health issues. Like, he couldn't eat. Mm-hmm. So, it was slow, slowly starving to death. Oh. She wouldn't put it down. Oh, no. Oh, no. The vet literally had to convince her to put it down. Yeah, no. Because she thought putting it down would be cruel. No, it's more cruel to keep an animal suffering like that. Yes, or put it in that fucking dress. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the dress is... Okay. Yeah, cats are not... Don't put cats in... Well, I say that and I've done it. I've done it. Oh, no, I've done it. Not a dress, but it was a, it was a little onesie for a dog we got... Um, cause we have a dog and it was too small for our dog. And I was like, ha, I'm going to see if it fits on the cat. <laughs> it fit on the cat. And it was, 
Oh, the cat was like, what are you doing? And yes, I have put dog clothes on my freaking dog. No, she doesn't live in the fucking clothes, but she's a Doberman, so it's ridiculous and kind of, I think it's hilarious to see a Doberman okay. in these like little. <laughs> I'm going to say this. It's funny. You put an outfit on a tiny dog. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cute. You put that dress on that cat. I'm like, if I try to pick up my cat and put clothes <laughs> on it, he's going to scratch my face off. Oh, yeah, easily. I mean, oh, easily. I mean, I don't know why there's a difference, y'all. I really don't know why there's a difference. But there's a difference. There's a difference. I mean. It's like it's like when you see a cat on a leash, even if it's perfectly trained, you're still like, that's weird. Right? And, and maybe it's because I can't stand her. She doesn't yeah. do her job. She creates more work for me. And I want to scratch her face off. I'm getting a little aggro. So don't put you in a dress and parade you around is what you're saying. Unless it's pretty with glitter. What's with the glitter? Is glitter your favorite color? I think so. I'm currently <laughs> going through a glitter phase like a four-year-old, y'all. You know, I love this. You know, I told you I bought a 32-pack of glitter pins on Amazon. This is, yeah. Look, look. Yeah. Show me. We're at a desk, so. Oh, my God. Oh, these are the good ones, too. Can I I'm know? an adult. I can buy whatever Hello. glitter pins I want. There you go. You get a heart. Look. I I wrote my name to try them out. Oh my gosh. Well, of course, you you didn't write it in every color though, did you? No. Just that one. Just that one. Because I was going to say, you know, like sometimes when you get the new box, you take them all out and you do like little swatches like, ooh, what does this yellow look like? Oh my God. I have problems. I identify as like an eight-year-old. Have you started collecting stickers yet? Because that's where I'm at. Um, excuse me. (laughs) The answer is yes. So we got stickers, glitter, we got gel pens, which bring it back. Yes. No to low rise. Yes to gel pens. What else? What else do we have going on here? I don't know. Do you just not want to say? No, I really don't know. (laughs) Um, Because my life kind of revolves around my job in this podcast. Well, that's true. And I bought the glitter pens to go with... um, What's this? Next thing in this drawer, which is the... Let me see. Multicolor envelopes. Ooh. And why do you have envelopes? To mail out. Mail out what? Our See You Next Tuesday stickers. What? Girl. That's right, y'all. We had stickers. We had stickers. Be on the lookout. We are figuring out how to sell these to you. So grab those few pennies out from underneath your couch cushions inside your cigarette lighter. Yeah, dig out your car, raise your kids' piggy banks. Yep, because they're coming at you. Yeah, look, the sticker's on the back of my computer. And those of you watching on YouTube can see it. Yay! They're actually really cool stickers because they're like super durable. They're like waterproof and weatherproof. You can dishwasher proof. That's right. They're vinyl, so you can put them on your Yeti cup, put it in the dishwasher. I know, y'all don't hand wash your Yeti cups like you're supposed to because I don't. Who the fuck does? Mm Mm-mm. Put it on your Yeti, put the Yeti cup in the dishwasher, and it's going to stay. I love it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. But yeah, we're trying to figure it out for y'all. Um, and we will let you know. We have other ideas coming your way soon, too, so just stay in tune with the social medias. Um, and you real quick shout out, thanks for listening. Seriously. Like, this is huge for us. Mm-hmm. So big. I mean... Our numbers kind of went crazy for a hot second. <laughs> it was it was pretty amazing, honestly. So thank you guys. Um, 
Okay, I guess I'm ready for Celeste now. I don't know. I was just... You were trying to put her off, weren't you? I am. I'm just not ready. I mean, I could do work stories all day, but that's not this podcast. We we went over that in part one. That's not this podcast. That's true. Okay, let's get back into Celeste. Now, take us... Where were we? We were... Her... She signed the girls over to Craig. Okay. In Washington. Because she was going to join the army... Sure. But then she's like, I'm not going to do that. Because mm-hmm. she's flaky as fuck. Mm-hmm. New year, new man. 1991. Okay. Enter Jimmy Martinez. Oh. Now, I got Jimmy's resume here for you. Ready? Yes. He was three years older than Celeste. He had a stable job, and he'd never been married. So he seems normal. Yes. That, oh. She's going to destroy him. Jimmy. Destroy this man. Guess where they met? A bar. Yay! Oh. Why do I win? A sticker. Yes. <laughs> do you know what the bar is called? Oh, okay. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Twinkle Toes Late Night Lounge. Mr. Lucky's. Oh, God. It's so much better than mine. Damn it! I know. Mr. Lucky. Uh-huh. Lucky's? Lucky's. Oh, yeah. I would go to that place. That seems pretty badass. It sounds like a dive bar, and I'm in it. Yes. I feel like there might be, like, deals going on in the back. I feel like... But we're cool with it. Your shoes stick to the floor. Mm-hmm. I love me a dive bar. FYI. Do you? I do. Like, if you feel like you're going to walk in and get shanked, you're, like, in. You're, like, into it. That might be a little too divey. Okay. What's the level? What's the limit? Sticky floor. Sticky floor. What about sticky bar top? Oh, no. Old bar top? Lots yes. of varnish? Yes. Okay. What if it has the old school pad? You know what I mean? Like the yes. little like elbow pad? Yes. <laughs> what if... FYI, I got a place in St. Margaret's we need to go to. That was amazing. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Well, a- anywho's. Yes. Um, it's kind of restaurant-y, bar-y, um, Irish-y. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry, guys. Sorry. <laughs> August 24th, 1991. Celeste married Jimmy. <sighs> okay. What number is this? Three. Yes, ma'am. Marriages. Yes, the ma'am. Four, four men's... Well, many, Wait, many, I many, don't many know men's. how many men. Many men's. Many, many men's. But okay. are you sure it's marriage number three? Uh, yeah, well, because she didn't marry Craig twice, did she? No. They just got together again mm-hmm. a couple times. Mm-hmm. And then Harold was two, mm-hmm. and then this guy's three. But did she divorce Harold? Did I tell you she divorced Harold? Oh, God. This bitch. No, she did not. No, because it slipped her fucking mind. Oh, my. Well, you just forget you're married? How do you just forget you're married? Holy shit. Yep. Wow. So she's not legally married to Jimmy. Okay. But she married him anyways. Sure. Why not? So only a few months after voluntarily giving up her children, she demanded Craig send the girls back to her. But you know what Craig did? He said no. Yes. Thank you. Finally. This man's standing up for himself. He yes, finally Craig. grew some balls and said, fuck you. More of this energy, Craig. Please. But she didn't stop. Because um, she's not getting what she wants. No. And she was pulling some strings that attached her to Christina. And we all know the codependency there with her saying, Mm -hmm. oh, you're my favorite daughter. And just that whole mental mind game that she's playing. 
Poor little mm-hmm. girl. Mm-hmm. And you know what happened? So her marriage started to crumble. And, um, it, you know, she went back on her excuses. But she, you know what? She didn't use um, her abuse this time. That's good. This time, her behavior was from the hormone supplement she was given after her hysterectomy. Did she have a full or a partial? Because I don't know. Because I still have my ovaries, so I'm not on. Right. I'm not. You don't have to take that if you have your ovaries. So unless they they took everything. And they don't take your ovaries. No. But I don't know what they did in the 70s. Yeah, maybe they just... Fuck it, everything, and and then in that case, she's right. Yes, you are on hormones because your body isn't making them anymore. But and I mean, I had to Who jump knows? through some fucking hoops even to get the hysterectomy. So I don't know what fucking quack doctor was like. You don't want kids? Let's just take the shit out. Right. <sighs> Who knows? I digress. Oh my god, I'm getting aggro again. Did you push my buttons? I, I didn't push anything. <laughs> I pushed nothing today. Nothing. So of course, Jimmy overlooked her toddler fits. But this, oh, but Jimmy, this is the first time a man didn't complain about their sex life. Really? In fact, he said, it couldn't have been better. Interesting. So maybe Jimmy was the one. Maybe Jimmy was just so white bread that he didn't know what good sex was? I'm just saying. Sorry, Jimmy. I don't mean to. Oh, Jimmy. Yeah. God, I hope you're not listening. Yeah. That was Jesse. That was me. Sorry. Amanda. <laughs> hey, remember Harold? Huh. Yeah, the, the husband she didn't divorce. He's back from Iceland. FYI, where he was sent was Iceland, not Sweden. Oh, okay. So wait a minute. So he's gone and she straight up marries someone else while he's gone. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my god. Keep going. I'm gonna put my head down for a second. <laughs> Keep going. Drink your mimosa. God. Um, he found Celeste. And all their their possessions had disappeared. On top of that, he now had $60,000 in unpaid bills. So he got in his truck and just drove to the East Coast and filed for divorce. Yeah, fuck it. The divorce became (laughs) finalized on December 14th, 1992, after the process servers couldn't find her. Right, they're literally like, "We we just, here you go. So I don't even know if she knows she's been legally divorced from... Harold, um, shit, if it's that easy, man, that's how everybody should just do it. Just move away mm-hmm. to where they can't find you, and then it just kind of happens. I mean, I'll tell her, Celeste, sweetie, <laughs> honey, Harold's done with your shit, mm-hmm. and he didn't want to chase you down. You're divorced now. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. So I kind of didn't know where to put this. Um, hashtag fun facts. So I'm just going to drop this right here. Like, I just wrote this in the middle right here. Yeah. So do you want to know what the girls nicknamed their mom? Oh, God. What is it? You remember that Joan Crawford movie, Mommy Dearest? Yeah. They nicknamed her Mommy Dearest. Oh, yeah. That's perfect. It's actually kind of perfect. Yeah. So I didn't know where to put that. So I just dropped that right on in there. Yeah. So, um, Celeste and Jimmy had to move for his job. Do you want to know where they moved? Do you want to know? Please tell me you want to know. Florida. Please let me tell you. Yes. Austin, Texas. Oh! Of course they moved to Austin. I was going to go Dallas. This feels very Dallas to me, but okay. 
All right. Yay! I told you I was bringing it home. You brought it home for sure. So now we're here. So is this the second crime scene, as they say? I brought it home. Okay. So their relationship continued on as all of her others. The fighting, the accusations, the abuse, the more fighting, more accusations. You know how it goes, y'all. So when it was time for the girls to leave, because they had been with Celeste for their two-week vacation with her, per the, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, She begged them to not return. Please don't leave me. I need you, Mommy Dearest says. No, she doesn't. Um, Jennifer, she's like, mm-mm, fuck you, bitch. I'm GTNFO and on out of here. Yeah. But remember, Christina was mommy's codependent. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she just couldn't part with her mom. So for the first time ever, the girls were separated. Oh, no. So, um, once they were separated, Celeste had Christina and changed her number. And for months, Craig couldn't get through to Christina. Um, and once he was able to talk to her, he heard Celeste in the background um, telling Christina what to tell him, that she didn't want to live with him. And so eventually, as Craig just stopped calling. like Right. Because he knew like he couldn't talk to his daughter. His daughter wasn't telling him the truth. She was just saying whatever Celeste wanted her to say. Like, it was... Pointless. Right. And the other thing is, is like, you can't get through to Celeste. No. Uh, uh, there is zero chance of that. So he's like, you know what? And I'm assuming the girls are, what, teenagers by now? Mm-hmm. So it's like kind of one of those things like, well, they are getting on up to be adults, essentially, and they're going to have to make their own choices. Yeah. So you can only do so much. So they're in Austin. So Celeste gets a job at the Austin Country Club in 1993. <laughs> nice. Well, let me tell you about the Austin Country Club. Oh, please. <laughs> you know, all the tea that's up in there? God, we could go for days. Mm-hmm. It was founded in 1899, and it was the first of its kind in the States. The membership list read like a who's who of Texas. Mm. And um, Celeste was actually well-liked there. And then she started telling her stories. And then people were like, wait, what now? Um, she claimed she was hiding from an abusive ex-husband, and very few knew that she was actually living with Jimmy. Oh, God. Um, after work, she would go out on 6th Street. Um, 6th Street is where all the bars and clubs are. And mm. back then, you could safely go out on 6th Street. Now it's called Dirty Six because, well, dirtiest shit. I, I don't recommend it. No. Um, so Jimmy would often wonder what happened to Celeste. Like... The hell is she? Yeah. Why didn't you come home last night? You know what she would tell him? I was home the entire time. I got home after you fell asleep, so I just slept with Christina instead of waking you up. Uh, gaslighting. That's called gaslighting. So no. And poor, and poor what, Harold. It's Harold, right? Who are we on right now? Jimmy. Jimmy, excuse me. I'm, sorry. I'm getting the husbands confused. <laughs> Gee, it's not like there are any choices here. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy's like, well, okay, maybe. You know, I, I, you're going to take... Take her word for it, benefit of the doubt, yeah. because that's her wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay, mm-hmm. I could see that happening. Yeah. So just shy of their two-year anniversary, the pill the bills were starting to stream in, and Jimmy found out that Celeste had run up tens of thousands of dollars in debt. So he called the credit card companies and tried to tell them the debt was Celeste and not his. 
and asked him to have his name taken off the accounts. And he found out a harsh reality of the great state of Texas. Mm-hmm. We used to be a community property state, and her debt is your debt, bro. That's correct. Welcome to Texas, my friend. Right down the middle, bitch. Boop, boop. So, in the fall of 1993, um, a gentleman by the name of Steve Beard. Oh. A wealthy TV executive who had lost his wife, Elise, came into the club and he was asking around for a house manager. And, um, of course, Celeste got the job. Mm-hmm. Stephen F. Beard Jr. was born November 27, 1924. Oh, wow. He's much older than her. He grew up in a middle-class Dallas neighborhood. Mm. He, during World War II, he joined the Navy. Um, long story short... He um, was basically a self-made man and had a lot of money. So for anyone in Austin or the Austin area or knows anything, he was the owner of KBVO, who became the and that became the Fox Syndicate. Okay. He was a very wealthy man. Steve had been married um, to Elise, and they had three children: Stephen the Third, Becky, and Paul. The Beard family lived in Westlake Hills. Mm. Um, <laughs> of course they did. Some family call it Lexus Land. It was bougie. Um, Sandra Bullock, Matthew McConaughey have had houses in Westlake. Um, Elise had a brain tumor, and after 45 years of marriage, at the age of 67, she passed away of cancer. Oh. And Steve was actually grieving like nobody's business. Yeah. And I think he hired a house manager just because he needed some companionship. Yeah, and support. Because that's, that's, that's hard. They married for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, he hired Celeste. And over Christmas that year, while Christina was in Washington visiting Jennifer and Craig and Jimmy. Remember Jimmy? Mm. Oh, her 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 husband. husband. Oh, oh, that guy. Yeah. Uh Whatever. Uh, He was visiting family in El Paso. Celeste moved out of their house saying she found someone else and moved in with Steve. Of course she did because she was like, oh, look at this shit. Uh Uh-oh, this is an upgrade. I want all of it. I want this life, please. Yes. So Jimmy didn't argue. He was like, bye, bitch. <laughs> and a little while later, he filed for divorce. I love how all in the wake, except for Craig, everybody else is like, okay, goodbye. This was actually, thank you for saying this. I was thinking it. I was feeling it. And now here we are. So yeah, this is right. This is a good decision. They're all like, bye. See ya. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. It, pretty much. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a minute. Don't let the screen door hit you on the way out. You want to go oh. through some more? What are, what are some other ones we used to say? Again, in Texas, lead a horse to water but can't make a drink. I don't know. The Texasisms just flow out me when they when <laughs> they come over me. Mood strikes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get real Texas sometimes, and then it goes away. Because <laughs> I live in Florida now. Yeah. Oh God. So Steve's friends actually thought this was just a fling. They were like, "He is gonna ball, shake ball, ball, move on." Sure. She's. Okay, so she was born in 63, he was born in 24, so that's Hold four, on. 40 year difference. 6931. I got it right here. Oh, 6931. So, okay. You just had not let me get there. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. My bad, my bad. I was trying to figure out the age difference so I could see how his friends Ready? were like. Patience is a virtue. Oh my God. Slam. <laughs> you drink some more mimosas and chill out. Chill out. <laughs> but like, I guess it makes sense. 
It feels like a fling. Like your wife just died and she's younger yeah. and yeah. yeah. So <laughs> So she was only 31 at this time. Mm-hmm. She's had all of this drama before she was 30 fucking one. Yes. Okay. I don't know what I was doing when I write these things sometimes. (laughs) Let me read this to you. Please. Steve's friends thought this was a fling for Steve and didn't think it was anything serious. Y'all, do you think it was just a fling? Nope, she slid right into his DMs, a.k.a. his bougie house with her kid. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That's what I wrote. That's okay. Okay, so when Christina asked Celeste um, why she was with Steve, Celeste told her it was because he was rich. I mean, at least she's not lying. I mean, fair enough. You know what? I think that's the second honest thing to come out of her mouth. Pretty much. In 31 years. Seriously. Um, So she quit her job at the country club. And um, Becky, Steve's daughter, she never bought what Celeste was selling. And she was worried about her father. Um... And from the jump, Celeste was sleeping in Steve's room, and Christina took an extra bedroom. Alrighty. And so her divorce from Jimmy was finally finalized, and she was set to marry Steve. Oh, she actually waited this time? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, She yeah, learned yeah. her lesson from the last one? I guess so. Got it. I mean, I don't know how you can finalize the di- a marriage. I mean, finalize the divorce on a marriage that was never legal, but... I- whatever whatever legalese I right don't know. exactly i don't know um but steve wasn't stupid like he was a rich man and he got rich for a reason mm-hmm. and stayed rich for a reason mm-hmm. so he had his attorney drop a prenup oh there it is good job but, well, steven sh- steven yes i stole it from mfm it does remind me of him so so <laughs> yeah so the only way celeste would get any money is if steve died while they were married Oh, shit. They and shouldn't on, have put that on there. On February 18th, 1995, the couple got married at the Austin Country Club where she used to work. Yeah. That's God. a big old fuck you, you to her old co-workers. You know the shit that was talked behind, in the front, and the back of that house. If you know what oh, I'm saying. Yeah. In the, in the you, kitchens. Mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm, my God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm there. I'm there. I'm talking it. I'm there. I'm in it. I'm running my mouth. Me too. Left and right. Me too. I'm mm-hmm. in the smack talk game. I'm going to get this fucking bitch. She expects me to wait on her fucking ass at her fucking wedding. She's going to learn today. She's I'm going to drop today. this plate on her dress. E- easily. Or, or, like, accidentally spill some... Oh! Oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I was always so bad at carrying these trays. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know why you had me wait on you. Right? Oh, my God. So much shit talk. But, uh, but uh. that's just, like, the people working there that she used to work with. Can you imagine the country club crowd? The shit they were also talking about her? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm in it. I'm in it. I wish I was there. I don't know what I was doing this day. I mean, I was only... I would clear my calendar. I'd have been like, oh, I am I am going to this wedding. Even if I'm not part of the wedding, or they didn't even invite me to the wedding, I'll oh, just I'm find a reason. Up. I'm like, oh my God, I I'm offering to, give you this. to work the wedding. Right. Like, I hate this bitch, but I'm offering to work. I'm like, oh, let me work Celeste's wedding. Seriously. Let me in on this action. Oh my God. Okay. I wish we could have, like, been at this wedding now. Back in the day, because that would have been just... 95? I actually... I mean... I'm good at work. 
So they had the wedding Anywho. in 95 so, at Austin Country Club. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a few months after the wedding, Celeste had overdrawn Steve's checking account. That's impressive. And he found out she had taken Elise's jewelry out of his safety deposit box. Ooh. And he was like, oh, fuck, no, bitch. Get the fuck out of my house. He kicked her out of the house. He changed the locks on their house and their lake house. So guess what she did? Revenge. Guess what she did? What'd she do? She played the woe is me card. Oh. The fake tears. Oh, no. She upped her game this time. Upped it, upped it, up the ladder. We're at the top of the fucking ladder, bro. We're on, like, you know those platforms? Yeah. Like, okay, think of the Olympics. You know that very tall platform dive? Yeah. That's where we at. Okay. Because she promised she would change, and she checked herself into the psychiatric hospital. Oh, my God. So this is her play, like, you're right. I'm just so awful. I'm the worst person. You know what, though? Maybe, again, she stumbled into something that she needed the whole time, which was therapy. So she got there in a roundabout way, but we got there. So she, Did she actually get therapy? Tell me. Well, she was diagnosed with borderline personality oh. disorder. <laughs> there it is. Um, let me tell you what that is. Please. According to the Mayo Clinic, it is a mental health disorder that impacts the way you think and feel about yourself and others, mm-hmm. causing problems functioning in everyday life. It includes self-image issues, difficulty managing emotions and behavior, and a pattern of unstable relationships. Checking all those boxes. With borderline personality disorder, you may have an intense fear of abandonment or instability, and you may have difficulty tolerating being alone, yet inappropriate anger, impulsiveness, and frequent mood swings may push others away, even though you want to have lo- have loving and lasting relationships. Yep. Check, 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 check. Definitely a correct diagnosis. Check, 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 check. Yeah. So Steve was not like the other men. And he did not buy Celeste's excuses. And on June 29th, four days after Celeste was discharged from the hospital, Steve filed for a divorce. Oh, Steve is not Yay, fucking playing. Steve. Steve was like all in and then all out of me. He was like, no, no, we're not doing this. Calm Love down. it. He took Celeste back on August 29th, <sighs> 1995, and withdrew his position for the divorce, and things continued on for Celeste and Steve. She did that whole like... Please, baby, you know, blah, blah, blah. That whole, like, woe is me. I'm guessing there was some sort of, like, lingerie situation. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's using her feminine wiles to get him back. Kind of bullshit. So. Remember Craig? Oh, God. Poor Craig. Tell me he doesn't. Craig, on the other hand, he had gotten remarried and he was having issues with his second wife and he was not in a good place emotionally or mentally. Shit pothole. On July 19th, hit the fast forward button real quick. July 19th, 1996, Cherie, Craig's mom, found him passed away of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. No, honey. So guess what happens to Jennifer? So shit. She goes back. Mm-hmm. To Celeste. Mm-hmm. God, that's awful. Poor Craig, man. Like, it just ate him up and spit him out. Yeah. Straight up destroyed his life. Now, he's an adult. 
He made decisions. I understand that, but damn. I think, I feel personally, if he hadn't gone through all that shit with Celeste, mm-hmm. he might have been able to get through the shit with wife number two. I don't disagree. I think it was, it's just, it's, he, he was, was a, afraid wife number two was going to lead him down the same path as Celeste and he mm, couldn't do it again. I could see that. Yeah. So sad. Yeah. Fucking cunt. Anyhow. So Celeste and Steve continued on. She was living her best life, shopping, hair, nails. She talked shit about Steve the whole way, um, saying how she thought he would be dead by now. Jeez. Um, then she did what she always does, and she started an affair. But this time, instead of finding a new man's, she went back to Jimmy. Yeah, it's easier. Yeah. Yeah. And Jimmy's the idiot who took her back. Well, he's just... Yeah, he's thinking we had great sex, so why not? Yeah, because, you know, he doesn't have to deal with her money-spending spree and deal with her debt. That's Steve's problem. He's best of both worlds here. Yeah, but in the middle of all of this, Steve legally adopts Jennifer and Christina. Because he's a good man. Right. He sees that these these two girls need support. Mm -hmm. And the mother's clearly not doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, Steve finds out about Jimmy... And he's thinking about divorce again. I don't know. Somehow Celeste finds out. I have a feeling she probably overheard something. I, I don't know. Maybe right. she's a fucking psychic. I don't know. <laughs> Christina comes home one day. Shit pothole alert. She finds Celeste with a gun to her head screaming, I'm going to kill myself. You don't love me. Nobody loves me. Christina is scared. Remember, she has this unhealthy connection to her mom. Right. So she calls 911. Good. The deputies and EMS show up, and um, they were able to get the gun away from Celeste. Back to the psychiatric unit she goes. The histrionics, my friend. Like, come on. Well, while she's in the psychiatric unit, she meets Tracy Tarleton. Is a man... A woman? Yes. So this is like her new Gina and her new Lou? Gail. Or, oh, sorry, excuse me. Gail. Gail. So Tracy was born in May 1957 and is the only daughter of successful attorneys Keith and Mickey. She has two older brothers and Tracy had an unfortunate legal situation that led her to check into the center for um, substance abuse. Okay. <laughs> the situation. Read the book, you guys. <laughs> I mean, there's so many stories I want to tell, but I... Time constraints. So, um, this is how Tracy and Celeste's paths cross. Celeste and Tracy started a relationship while at St. David's, and the actual state of their relationship depends on who you believe. Okay. Go on. Celeste says they're just friends. Tracy says they were girlfriends. Okay, see, I knew it. I knew it. I. What did I say last episode? What did I say? I know. That's why I kept quiet. I know. I was getting this vibe, which I'm also, I'm really, I'm feeling happy for Celeste. It's, it, she's still denying it, but I'm feeling like she's finally found herself, part of herself. And then obviously, I mean, I don't, I got no reason to believe that Tracy would lie. I, I don't think Tracy would lie. Right. Actually, and we know I, Celeste I, lies. Well... So, yeah, there we go. Here we are. And, and Celeste 
treated Tracy like she did all of her other male partners. Right. So yeah, of course, of course, that makes sense. Y'all are girlfriend, girlfriends. Yeah, there we go. Get out of here. And on, and at least on one occasion, her daughters saw them kissing. Okay. And her daughters saw one of her daughters' boyfriends saw them in bed together. But um, the state of their relationship um, did not end at St. David's. Um, it continued on at another treatment facility and then followed them home. So, um, and they stayed connected back in Austin. And at one point, Trace, Celeste bought Tracy a ring from James Avery. Because <laughs> of course she did. It was James Avery. It, it was, was the, the 90s. Okay, if you guys don't know James Avery, <laughs> it's, it's a time. local thing. They have jewelry. I think I it's, mean, it's national, right? Isn't it? I don't know. It's very southern. I feel various charm bracelets. I have two all, charm bracelets. Yeah, all sterling silver. All you got crosses and fucking Christian like uh, clawed rings and all that shit. Well, the ring was from their wedding collection <sighs> because she married Tracy. No, they didn't marry. It was just a a, a gift in quotes. Mm-hmm. Got it. I mean, again, like it is up to Celeste if she wants to come out or not. Or hell, you don't even have to be anything. You know, you don't have to label yourself. I love you and I've given you a ring. It says cunt. Right. I would never gift you a ring from anybody's wedding collection. True. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird. If I gave you a ring that was from a wedding collection, I hope you would look at me like... What? Well, how would I know? Did she tell her? I mean, I would think it's obvious. Like, the uh, well, I, I get, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. But again, like, how much is she telling Tracy? Like, she may not be telling her shit. She's probably just telling her what she wants her to hear. I mean, I, I, I couldn't read you the whole, I could read you the whole book, <laughs> I but I would never do it as good as the audible person did. <laughs> never. She is the true hero here. <laughs> so, she gives her this ring. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, their relationship is continuing on. Yeah. And one day in passing, Tracy mentioned that she had gotten her shotgun back. Um, so, one of Tracy's friends had taken this away from her because they were afraid she was going to use it on herself. So, they took it from her. So, her friend, that Tracy, her friend felt that Tracy was stable enough to have it back. So I'm sure this was like a big victory for her mental health. So she just was like talking to Celeste and was like, oh, hey, you know, Barbara or whoever. Right. Gave, you know, and and the gun had been given to Tracy by her father. It had her name engraved on it. Oh, yeah. So it was like. It was was sentimental value. And then it's also kind of like a a benchmark of success in that. And her mental health journey. Right. You know. I get you. So it's not as weird as it sounds. And then also, guys, in Texas and the South, you got guns. Texas. We got guns everywhere. Like, everybody got a gun. Yeah. So it's not uncommon for daughters six, seven, eight, nine years old to have a gun given to them by their parents. Especially a shotgun because it's used for hunting. Right. Go into academy. You're going to find pink shotguns in child sizes. Yeah. Because that's what they're... Texas. Yeah. So... Um. (laughs) It's just, I'm going to make a sticker that says Texas. Yeah, and it, with like dots behind it. Like, Texas. And then if you listen, you'll understand the... 
The con- tone. The tone, yeah. The context of the tone, yeah. That's <laughs> Texas. Texas. <laughs> okay, let's move on. So, Celeste just zeroed in on it. Um, and she, while she's telling Tracy stories of how afraid she is of Steve, I rolled my eyes for those who couldn't see it. She was cuddling Tracy and kissing her and told her she wanted her to kill Steve. No. So Tracy was conflicted because she didn't want to kill Steve or anyone. No. But Celeste was telling her that he was, shit pothole, going to drive her to suicide if he was still around. Wow. So in true Celeste fashion, she got her way and Tracy agreed. (gasps) No, Tracy. Tracy, listen to your gut. Don't do this shit. So it is alleged that Celeste told Tracy where to park and gave her a walk through the house and told her what to wear and basically Celeste planned the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So on October 7th, 7th, that is a fucking two. On October <laughs> 2nd, 1999, Tracy entered the house through, an un- through unlocked doors that Celeste had left open. Celeste staged a robbery by taking Steve's wallet, his ring, and his money clip. Tracy made her way to the master bedroom and shot Steve in the stomach because that's where Celeste told her to shoot him. Shit pothole hit the button. It was less messy and he would just bleed out and she wouldn't have to redecorate. Without picking up the shotgun shell because Celeste told her she would pick it up, she GTFO'd. What the fuck? That's awful. You didn't see that twist, did you? Dude, the whole... No. And then the whole, like, let him bleed out. It'll be less messy. First of all, that's incorrect. You should probably do, like, a headshot or something like that. But then you're going to splat... In the bathroom. See? He's asleep. Um, Um, True. But still, the stomach... Your stomach bleeds a fuck ton. You got, like, a major artery running there by your spine. So it's got to bleed everywhere. Well, here's a fun fact also about when you shoot someone in the stomach. Ready? They can still call 911. Yeah. And that's what Steve did. Yeah, it, it sure shit did. He didn't exactly know what happened. He told 911 that his guts blew out his stomach. He oh. told them his wife was somewhere in the house. Um, the lights woke up Christina, and she saw Celeste in the hallway wondering what was going on and asking her mom. Celeste had no answer. I don't know. I don't know. And told her to call 911. And that's how they found out that EMS was the people at the door trying to come and help Steve. And what followed was an absolute shit show of Christina. Christina, the daughter. She kept running between Celeste and Steve until they took him to the hospital. Um, With Steve in the hospital, the shit show continued until a deputy on scene found the shotgun shell that Celeste was supposed to pick up. Oh, bitch, what? <laughs> and that had then, Tracy's fingerprints on it. Then the investigation began. It didn't. Um, oh. Celeste, I'm condensing everything down because I have to. Right. Um, but the investigation began. Celeste threw fits of the hospital, wouldn't let the police see Steve, nor would she let her older kids in. Celeste was spending money like crazy, like it was going out of style. I mean, things were literally crazy at this point. The police were interviewing people, but one name kept coming up with everybody they interviewed. 
Tracy Tarleton. Really? Yes. Because people didn't understand who she was, where she came from, why Celeste had this relationship with her. She was always with her. Right. Um, Causing suspicion. They were like, what is this don't exactly? Don't be suspicious. Right. <laughs> don't be suspicious. <laughs> Thanks, Tiki Taki. Um, so Tracy was arrested for the shooting of Steve Beard and was released on $25,000 bond. Mm-hmm. While the police were building a case against Tracy, Steve was actually getting better in the hospital until he got home. Once Steve got home, he got an infection. What? And I'm not saying it was on purpose. I'm just saying that Celeste had mentioned she might not wash her hands when she changed out all of his medical things. I could absolutely. So Steve was back in the hospital and not doing well. And he passed away on January 22nd, 2000. So she got her wish, but... And it was actually because of a blood infection that he passed away. Mm. Okay, so he got sepsis. So here's the weird part. This is where my head's going. And I'm probably skipping ahead here, but... Technically, the events that caused his death, yes, were started by Celeste and Tracy. Celeste telling Tracy, right? But it's not like... Can they still charge you with murder at that point? Slow your roll. Okay. Drink your mimosa. Okay. So after Steve passed away, Celeste started up with someone new this time. But she, the game was just a little bit different. Wait, so she's not going to go fucking back with Tracy? Nope. Wow. This That's time, fucking bullshit, dude. This time, she started hanging out with a straight woman. And it was just someone she partied with. Okay. Um, but in true Celeste fashion, she had an end game to this. Of course she did. She took her to gamble in Louisiana. She took her to party in Houston. She hired her to work at the house. You know, she... You know, she took her under her wing. Um... And she was trying to get her or someone she knew to kill Tracy because Tracy was now a liability. Dude. <laughs> well, Donna. Her name's Donna, FYI. She just strung her along taking her money. Ah. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. There it is. Like you met a, your own match. She's like, okay, cool, 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 cool. She just kept getting money from her. She's like, yeah, I know this dude. He says he needs $500. He says he needs another 1000 He says God. he needs this. Oh, now he can't do it. But I got this another friend. He needs $2,500. Oh, he needs this. Like, I he was, she it. was just playing. Yeah. I love when it hustlers get hustled. It's yeah. great. And it's she great. knew exactly what she was doing, too. Who? Donna. So, oh, Donna. Yeah. I yeah. think Celeste picked no, 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 up no, on no, the game. No, no. Okay. I'm like, yeah, Donna. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, Jennifer and Christina actually turned on their mom and went to the police and gave a statement. Christina too? Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, there's a whole story, but time, 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 time. Right. Um, so, but then after they gave the statement, they had fear of retaliation from Celeste, so they fled. They disabled their OnStar in their cars, <laughs> fled for their lives. Christina's calling their boyfriend saying, I left a message, or... Celeste is calling Christina's boyfriend saying, oh. I left a message for Christina with OnStar. All she has to do is turn on the OnStar to listen to it. Smart. To try to find her. Uh-huh. Very fucking smart. 
They didn't fall for it. Yeah. They didn't fall for it at all. But Celeste was still living her best life. And she got married for a fifth time to Spencer Cole Johnson. Oh my God. He was a 38-year-old bartender and a carpenter. Tracy found out about it and she was devastated because Celeste told Tracy she didn't want to see her anymore. Yeah, that's awful. That's awful to do to somebody. So, you know, these things are going through Tracy's mind. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, what's going on? Yeah. She convinced me to do this. I thought we were going to be together. Like... It's just crazy. And then on February 16th, 2001, the grand jury added capital murder charges to Tracy's charges and her bail jumped up to $500,000 and she was taken to the Travis County Jail. The investigators hoped that Tracy would break while sitting in jail because they really had their eye on the prize, which was Celeste. Right. Like they wanted Tracy because she's the one that shot Steve. Right. But they really wanted Celeste. So let's give her capital murder, which potentially carries a death penalty. So let's make sure that she has a reason to plea out and mm-hmm. give us all this information. So Celeste and Cole continued on living their best lives. They actually moved up to South Lake and bought a house in an exclusive neighborhood. There's your Dallas. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Unbeknownst to Celeste, Tracy made a friend in jail. And her friend made her realize that she should not be taking all the blame. No. When Celeste was just as guilty. Thank you, friend in jail. Yeah. You. They, they know. Mm-hmm. They're like, look, bitch. Uh-huh. Let's get uh-huh. real here. Yeah. She will let you rot. So Tracy was ready to talk with or without a deal. Love it. So Celeste, shit's about to hit the fan for you, homie. Roll, baby. Roll. So, Tracy did get a deal. She was to plead guilty for Steve's murder and serve 20 years. Okay. Over the course of four hours, Tracy sang like a canary. She even passed the polygraph. Instead of just issuing a arrest warrant, like, you know, sometimes they'll issue a arrest warrant, bring you in, then they'll do the grand jury. Yeah. They weren't playing around. They went straight to the grand jury, got an indictment for Celeste, on March 28, 2002, Celeste Beard Johnson was arrested for injury to an elderly individual, murder, and capital murder. Damn. They were not playing. No, they were not. Celeste Bond? Million. Eight million dollars. <laughs> Holy shit. It was the highest in the history of Travis County at the time. Oh my God. If there has been one higher, I don't know what it is because the Googles let me down. <laughs> So, Celeste got the best little defense attorney in Texas. Do you get that right? Comey. Comey. No. Best little whorehouse in Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best little defense attorney in Texas. (laughs) I was real proud of that. (laughs) Nice. Okay, he's re... His name is Dick. Oh, God. So, the book told me how to say it, and now I can't remember how to say it. Okay. D-E-G-U-E-R-I-N. Degarin? Degarin, yes, that's it. Okay. High five you. Yeah, I did. Okay. <laughs> Dick has represented David Koresh, oh. Robert Durst. He killed his seven year old one neighbor and threw his body parts in the Galveston Bay. Speaking of Durst's back on trial, heads up. And he was involved in the misconduct charges against U.S. Senator Kay Bailey Hutchinson. Holy shit. Just to name a few. So he's a winner, winner, chicken. He's dinner. a big time lawyer up in Texas. David Koresh? Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Okay. If y'all don't know, um, Google Waco Siege. It was a... 
it was a shit show where mm-hmm. the government went in and murdered people. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a hole. So the prosecutor in the case was Allison Wetzel. I should have Googled where she is now because this probably made her career. And it was basically because nobody else in the DA's office wanted to touch this case. The police made errors while investigating, starting with the night of the murder. There wasn't enough crime scene photos, and the ones that were taken were of the house's opulence. And they didn't interview the the victim because Celeste wouldn't let the police in Steve's hospital room. And instead of barging in, they went, oh, okay, and walked away because they thought they would get a chance to interview him when he got better. What the fuck do they think it was? A fucking Zillow home tour? Like, what do you mean you're taking photos of the goddamn opulence of the house? Bitch, tour the house after you take the crime scene photos. Am I wrong? All I'm going to say is yogurt shop. Welcome to APD. I, 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 you, no, your job is to find out the answers. And if you're not giving, being given the answers, you fucking push past that person and go, okay, cool. Anyway, move past them and get okay. the fucking answers. Yogurt shop. Okay, needless to say, Allison was not happy when she got the email saying she was assigned to the case. Even though she wasn't excited, she jumped in with both feet. Like, she was like, okay, this is my case. It's not, like, normally she did, like, um, child cases, cases. Oh, like family law? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Um... She was like, okay, I'm doing this. We're, we're going to do this. And she right. studied all the evidence, did whatever the lawyers do with the evidence and the papers and the stuff. <laughs> That's discovery. <laughs> That's what I wrote. <laughs> In fact, let me tell you how badass this bitch is. On October 2nd, 2002, on the third anniversary of Steve's shooting, Celeste's attorney went to the appeals court for a reduction of bond. Allison said... Oh, I see your reduction of bond, and I will raise you solicitation of murder charges. No. <laughs> That's right. After that, she went to the grand jury and got Celeste indicted on charges of solicitation of murder of Tracy and an additional $5 million in bond. Whoa, damn. That's right. That bitch don't play. Is that $13 million now? You know what? If I'm ever in need of law... Call Allison. Seriously. Call her. Holy crap. November November 2002, Celeste tried to get her bond lowered again. Nada enchilada. And the trial was set to begin January 27, 2003. Celeste and Tracy were actually held in the same jail. And Celeste tried to mindfuck with Tracy yet again, sending her notes and messages with other inmates. And honestly, if I was Tracy, I would have just shanked that bitch and been done. But, um... I mean... I I think she would have done less time than the 20 years she had pled to, but... I know. I know. Anywho's it. Um, When the trial started, um, Prime TV, Court TV, 48 Hours, they were all in the courtroom. This was like a big fucking deal. Right. Of course. Um, And the prosecution wasn't stupid. Um... They were not pursuing the death penalty in Celeste's case because they knew it'd be a hard sell when she wasn't the one pulling the trigger. Right, of course. So um, they were looking for life in prison instead. So after the jury selection was done, the actual first day of testimony began February 3rd, 2003. Do you know what else was going on in Texas at this time? February 3rd, 2003. 
No fucking idea. I mean, Texas was dealing with a lot. The space shuttle Columbia had just exploded oh on re-entry February 1st. Forgot about that. I actually saw it. That's fucking right crazy. So, yeah, this was like a crazy time. Yeah, it was. The prosecution actually did something with their case I think is super fucking genius. She didn't want the jury to get bored with technical language and technical testimony. So she split up the witnesses with Celeste's daughters and their friends in the middle of their technical witnesses. So fucking smart. So then you capture their attention and keep them riveted. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, okay, who's next? And you don't know if it's a scientist or if it's like the daughter or friend or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then while they're getting bored, they're like, oh, what? You said what? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. See, there so is, smart. It, it is kind so of a game. So smart. You gotta play some of the she roles. She was so smart. So the defense had a pretty good strategy himself. He knew the prosecution was holding that Celeste Tracy lesbian relationship in their pocket, mm. and they knew that they were gonna use it as shock value. Of course. So you know what they did? They like blast the pictures up, and they get ahead of it. Got ahead of it and. Use the narrative as friends instead of lovers, not allowing to use that as lover shock value. Of course. So, how long do you think this trial lasted? Um, I'm going to go two weeks. 48 days. Ooh, that's a long trial. Yes. So, after 48 days, the jury went to deliberations. When lunch was brought in... um, it was noticed that there were charts and lists on the walls of the jury room. So they weren't playing. This jury was not playing They were around. doing their homework. Yes. Nice. So they asked for two calendars, Tracy's journals, the phone records summary to be brought in. I like, like it. They're like in See, it. this is it. If we're ever in a jury, this is it, y'all. Don't just be like, yeah, okay, good enough. And don't ask for any more of the evidence to be shown to you. Or like ask for like that writing materials or something. Fucking figure that shit out, okay? Please. Day three, the jury wanted to see more. They wanted the pictures of the lake house party because there's a party at the lake house. I mean, it's a thing. Okay. Um, cards that were sent between Celeste and Tracy. Mm-hmm. Photos of Celeste's infected hands. Infection, his thing, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then they also wanted to see the actual autopsy photos and the death certificate. Oh, damn. Okay. Y'all, this jury was not playing around. They're doing fucking, they're they're doing their job. Yes, they are doing the government work. So 4 p.m. on day three, the jury had a verdict. Ready? (sighs) Okay, I don't know. I'm actually kind of nervous. Okay, go. Celeste was found guilty of capital (gasps) murder. Yes! Oh, my God! Okay, I actually didn't think it was going to go that way. <laughs> guilty of injury to an elderly. Uh-huh. The guilty verdict for capital murder, Celeste was automatically given a life sentence with the possibility of parole after 40 years. On her second charge, after an hour and 20 minutes of deliberation, came back with a second life sentence and a $10,000 fine. <laughs> I like the fine. The fine kills me. It's just like, oh, and by the way, you owe us $10,000. <laughs> what the so, fuck? Where is everyone now? Yes. Tell me. This is where my heart's racing. Okay. I'm about to drop. This is my bomb. <laughs> so Tracy was released on prison August 2011. Oh, okay. She was on parole until August 2021. They don't know where she is. 
Okay, good for her. Live that's your life, Tracy. Wherever you are, live your life, honey. That's not my bomb. Okay. Celeste is living her best life in the Texas penitentiary system. Mm-hmm. She was one of the authors of... No! From the big house no! to your house, the cookbook. Oh, my God. Y'all. You just went all the way back to the first episode. Oh, bitch! Oh, bitch! Oh, my God. Yes! Fucking yes! Oh my god. Okay, if you guys have not listened to episode one, Tina Marie Cornelius, you fucking have to. And this bitch is in the same prison as our girl Celeste. They're actually in different prisons right now. Oh, they are. Okay. Uh-huh. But, but at the time they were, and they wrote a cookbook together? They are They are co-authors of From the Big House to Your House. Oh my god, y'all. Cookbook. Y'all. That's huge fucking news. No wonder. I, I brought that around. No wonder you were so excited. You were like, I can't wait to tell you the story. And I was just like, okay, cool, cool, cool. No wonder. I remember that. Damn, whenever you said that in episode one that they wrote this fucking cookbook, I was like, what the? Are you serious? Dude, that's amazing. I've been keeping this secret for what, a week and a half? How do you, are you like, you look like you're going to die. Like, explode. <laughs> So I was trying to find someone to do. I click on this bitch, right? Mm-hmm. It pops up. I'm like scanning her Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. I see she's an author of this cookbook. And I'm like, bitch, you're in. Done. Done. Yeah, hands down. Oh my God. <laughs> Fucking brilliant, dude. <laughs> Bring it back around. I love it. Oh my God. Wait, okay, so they were there at that prison together, wrote the cookbook, uh-huh. so, and then they, and she got, who got transferred? Celeste? Tina Marie is at the prison, should we say which one she's at? Oh, well, maybe the city, the one in Dickinson? In Dickinson, which I okay. think is a um, health facility. Mental health? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, cool. That's good. Nothing wrong with that. Wow. Okay. So is Celeste still alive? She's still around? Celeste is still alive and in prison. Living her best life. Making the royalties off that cookbook. Y'all do not buy the cookbook. Yeah, we don't know where that money goes, by the way. Because, like, I remember it said... She researched it in episode one. Yeah. It was kind of a weird deal where it was, like, um, some sort of weird-ass, like, supporting prisoner project, essentially. But when I looked that up, it was based in Seattle. And it went, like nowhere so I think it really goes back to the prisoners right personal accounts and if if y'all have other research about it that that says otherwise please let me know but I couldn't find shit about it but damn son I brought that shit full circle <laughs> that's amazing great work great work <sighs> I've been holding that in so long, and I'm so bad with secrets sometimes. <laughs> and now you can breathe. <laughs> now you can breathe. Look how big I wrote that font. Seriously. <laughs> I cannot believe it. I can't, I can't believe it. That's awesome. That was a great reveal. I told you I was going to drop a bomb, and I made you wait till the end. I'm just so glad that Celeste is in prison. <laughs> yeah. Because, whoa. I mean, she played on Tracy's mental health. She knew she was on an everybody. easy mark. Everybody. She, yes, but Tracy was an easy mark. Yeah. 
I mean, she tried to do it with Donna, and Donna was like, fuck you, bitch, I'm going to take your money. Yeah, it's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, let's just keep giving me money, and you can do whatever. I don't care. Yeah. Which, good for her. Yeah. Oh, well. But damn, that's a great story. I never heard of her before. I kind of, like, some things are, like, ringing bells, but this was, like... I was living my best life during right. this time. <laughs> you, you drank all those away. <laughs> I was living my best life. Oh, God, that's great. Are you ready to hear about Star Mom today? Yes. I abbreviated it so you couldn't tell. Don't look ahead. Don't look ahead. I see you looking. You, and yet again, you think I can read that? <laughs> my font, maybe. I don't know. If it's not font 65, I cannot read it. <laughs> so we are going to get in... Today, the story of Miss Audrey Kathleen Rustin. I don't know who that is. Oh, well, let's find out. Come along with me okay. on this journey. Audrey Kathleen Rustin was born on May 4th, 1929, um, and later goes by the name of Audrey Hepburn mm. in Brussels, Belgium. <laughs> I was going to bury the lead longer, but uh, fuck it. Yeah, whatever. Audrey Hepburn was born in 29 in Brussels, Belgium to her mom, Ella. So it's really interesting that you have very fucking similar names in your story and ages. Because 29, right? Steve, her husband's name, her age was around 24, mm-hmm. right? So it's just like weird correlations here that I'm making. Um, and wasn't her mom's name like Ellen or something? Celeste? Nancy. Oh, shit. Who am I thinking of? Never mind. Fuck that. I don't know. Anyway. Her mom, um, so she was born to Ella Von um, Van Hemstra and Joseph Victor Anthony Rustin. Her mother was a baroness and a Dutch noblewoman. Yeah. And her father uh, worked at a loan company. So it seems to me like maybe married out of class at the time, which was kind of a weird thing. So in the 1930s, her parents supported and collected donations for the British Union of Fascists. Problematic. Um, and her father even left the family when she was six to work more with fascism in London before the Second World War. So, not great. Her family mm-hmm. supported the fascists and essentially Hitler yeah, right before the yeah, World War II. That's not ideal. No. Not ideal. Not a great family to be growing up no, in. No, no. Um, this event, her father leaving when she was six, was traumatic to her. I mean, she felt like she was an orphan. You know, essentially yeah. at that time, she was just like, I don't know what to do. She did still have her mom, but it, it was different. Um, she moved with her mom to the family's estate in, Bougie. Uh, mm, in, Bougie. <laughs> yeah, in Arnhem, the Netherlands. And her dad wanted her to be educated in England. So she went to live in Kent in 1937. So my, my guess is he wanted her to be able to speak English and be able to have that education as well. Yeah. Um, her parents, though, and, and soon divorced after that in 1938. Um, later in life, she found her father because they were estranged for many years in the 60s, and she even supported him until his death. So it seems to me from this, it sounds like she was a lot closer to her father than her mother, you know, and it just seemed like... He was a more pivotal part of her life growing up. Yeah. Um, so war was declared in 1939, as we all know. She and her mom moved back to Arnheim in the Netherlands thinking, okay, it's going to be a little safer, so we're just going to live there than in London, which, I mean, 
Yep, correct. They they sh they did the right thing there. Um, and then from that time, 39 to the end of the war in 45, Audrey studied at Arnheim Conservatory and took ballet lessons, which she continued doing after her school period ended. Um, but if you look at her, you can tell she's a, got a ballerina body. You know what I mean? Yeah. She holds herself a certain way. She's very elegant and very, dis you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, during the war, Audrey... She used the name Edda Van Hemstra, so she kept the Van Hemstra from her mom and she just changed her first name because I guess at the time in in the Netherlands, English sounding names caused suspicion and Audrey Hepburn or yeah. Audrey Rustin sounds pretty fucking English. So don't be suspicious. Exactly. <laughs> don't be suspicious is right. I feel like that's like kind of a theme song for all the Allied forces. Don't be that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, TikTok. Yeah, right. Um, so her family was obviously like everybody's fucking family was very affected by the occupation of the Germans throughout Europe. Um, and Hepburn later stated that and quoting, had we known that we were going to be occupied for five years, we might've all shot ourselves. We thought it might be over next week, six months, next year. That's how we got through. So just hearing that story and then I've read a couple of books during that time period and it was very much a survival mode straight up yeah, because yeah. you know the Germans were controlling all the food all the water all the everything that you did people were starving to death yeah. and were just going off of like okay if I can make it to tomorrow I'll be okay yeah so it's it's understandable it's a very relevant fear um Audrey however supported the resistance um there was a lot of like debate on this after she died did she didn't she you know based on her family right where was she and all this how'd she feel about it and in 2019 there was a book release that um stated that they, they did find proof that she actually did support the resistance by giving underground concerts to raise money she delivered their newspaper and took messages to allied airmen as well as volunteering at a hospital and even hit a paratrooper in their home so it turns out that she was able to break from her family fascism. Um, and my guess is because like, paratroopers like living at her home, her mom also at a certain point was like, you know what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like her dad's out of the picture. I, I don't know. It seems like a very complicated family relationship. But it just shows you just because you grew up a certain way doesn't mean you have to be that way. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty big, big one right there. Um... Audrey experienced a lot of horrors of war. She saw a transport of Dutch Jews to the camps. She stated, um, more than once I was at the station seeing trainloads of Jews being transported, seeing all these faces over the top of the wagon. I remember very sharply one little boy standing with his parents on the platform, very pale, very blonde, wearing a coat that was much too big for him, and he stepped on the train. I was a child observing a child. Um, so like this is crucial for Audrey. Uh, it definitely informs her later life decisions, which I'll get into, but I feel like it also kind of, if you look at how she, her acting, you know, it seems very real and very vulnerable, which not a lot of actors at the time kind of had that. It was more of like a showy yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm acting, but I feel like she just has this reality about her and I, I like to think part of it comes from this extremely difficult childhood of 
having to grow up with the reality of life. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, she suffered acute anemia, respiratory problems, and oedema, which is fluid retention or dropsy, because of malnutrition. Oh my war. god. Yeah. When the war ended in '45, she moved with her family to Amsterdam, where she continued her ballet studies. Um, her mom worked odd jobs to keep them afloat. Now, again, this is a baroness. So just to see how much the war took from everybody, everybody, that just gives you right there. So her mom even worked as a cook and a housekeeper, you know, so she went from Baroness to being serving. She probably had never done those things in her life before then. No, it's like, again, survival mode. What do we need to be doing here to survive? Um, Audrey at this time kept her dancing going um, and even made a film debut as an air stewardess in... Dutch and Seven Lessons in 1948, an educational travel film. So even though Audrey was really talented, she couldn't become a prima ballerina, which she really wanted because of her severe malnutrition. It didn't give her the right body shape or or type, and they just... Oh, that makes me so mad. I know. I it, And to be a prima ballerina is extremely difficult to this day. Oh, yeah. Your pod daughter... I mean, she's not a ballerina, but she's in dance, and you know, yeah. the sacrifices. I mean, she's done point, like, I have a closet full of point shoes, like, it's not easy. No. And it's extremely hard to do. You have to be very muscular and trained. Mm-hmm. So. And honestly, like, whenever I would see her do her dances on point, like, it's terrifying because you can be injured so easily if you're not up correctly. Right. Like, I would see her, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's not on her box, right? Because that's what they call it. The top of the tip of the toe mm-hmm. is a box? Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. And I'm like, oh my god. And then one time during a recital, her ribbon wasn't, kind of came untied, and I was like, sitting there, and the, the entire time, I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, please don't fall, please don't fall. Right. <laughs> You're like, please. But yeah, you, you get it. It's, it's tough work. So it, she was crushed because she really wanted to do it. You can tell she had a passion for it. And um, so she was kind of like, okay, I'll do what I need to do to make ends meet. I'll help my family at this point. I can't achieve this, but I can at least do this other thing. So she became a chorus girl in the London West End musicals to, to start. She's given small roles in TV and movies until she finally landed a role as the lead in the Broadway play Gigi, which was based off of a French play at the time. Um, and she even got coaching uh, to like learn how to act and speak. And because, you know, as a chorus girl, you don't talk. Yeah. So she needed to learn how to do that part of the business as well. And she was a natural, obviously. I mean, hello, it's Audrey Hepburn. If you don't know who the hell she is, you've been under a fucking rock. <laughs> um, but obviously this show totally skyrocketed her into success. The play ran for 219 performances, closing on May 31st, 1952, before then going on tour on October 13th, 52. They went to Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit, Washington, D.C., and L.A., before closing in 53 in San Francisco. Wow. Yeah. Because of this American tour, she got offered the part in Roman Holiday. There it is. I knew it made you smile. (laughs) This was it. Roman Holiday in 1953 with Gregory Peck. Huge hit. 
She won an Academy Award for Best Actress, a BAFTA Award for Best British Actress in a Leading Role, a Golden Globe Award for Best Actress, Motion Picture Drama in 1953. Hepburn was signed to a seven-picture contract with Paramount. Um, about a year between the films, uh, she started uh, doing some stage work. She really did still love like Broadway and, and that theater acting. She became known as well during this time for her style. And part of the reason why is because she became close friends with Hubert de Givenchy. Um, and he even designed dresses for some of her other movies like the comedy Sabrina in 1954. So Sabrina, I watched the new version before I watched Audrey's version. And actually, I don't think I've even seen Audrey's version all the way through. But damn, like Givenchy's style is iconic. Like I feel like the those two people together, Audrey and him, made this look that was so iconic. Like anything plus she's statuesque. Yeah. She's very small and little person, but damn, like she could pull off a goddamn dress and just look like a million bucks in it. I mean, she, I mean, it's incredible. So um, for her performance in Sabrina, she was nominated from 54 for Academy Award for Best Actress and winning, and she won a BAFTA for Best Leading Actress in the same year. So around this time, Gregory Peck, her friend from Roman Holiday, um, she was at a cocktail party at his house and then she met American actor Mel Ferrer. Um, and she was like, hey, we should totally be in a play together. She loves the theater and she liked to act. Um, and they cl collaborated on Ondine. Have you ever read that? No. Seen that? Neither. No. I've heard of it. I've just never like gotten into it, you know? Um, eight months, uh, oh, uh, let's see here. Collaborate on Ondine. So obviously they started dating. She thought he was cute and, you know. They, did they marry and have babies? Tell me they married and have babies. Because you did. have the good story. I did. They did. Eight months later, on 1954, in September, they were married in Bergenstock, Switzerland, cute, while um, preparing to star together in another blockbuster they had, War and Peace, they had a son, Sean Hepburn Ferrer. Um, unfortunately, marriage wasn't great. Uh, he had a temper. She was kind of like, put up with it, but you know, not after a while. So after 14 years of marriage, they divorced in 1968. Um, so as we all know, she kept starring in plays, movies. She's done, I couldn't even list all the movies, to be honest. Like, I mean, you have them pulled up here. It just, it's incredible the number of films she was in. Um, but she was in hit movies like Funny Face. That's my favorite, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Breakfast at Tiffany, uh, War and Peace. Um, Breakfast at Tiffany's, like you said, she was nominated again for the Best uh, Actress Academy Award in that movie from 1961. And then Charade, Cary Grant in 63, My Fair Lady in 1964. I mean, just incredible filmography. She acted in many other films until her last motion picture role, which was a cameo appearance in a Steven Spielberg movie, Always, in 1989. Did you know that? No. Have you seen Always? No, I don't think so. Me either. I, I feel like that. it was one of Spielberg's like other films that like kind of like one of those more like drama pieces versus like his action type films like Jaws or you know India the Indiana Joneses um yeah I've never really knew much about it 
What is this about? Oh, we got Dreyfus. John Goodman's in it. It says romantic fantasy drama film. Oh, wow. Holly Hunter. Okay. John Goodman. It's her final film role. It's a remake of the 1943 romantic drama, A Good Guy Named Joe, set during World War II. Okay. Cool. All right. We'll have to check it out. Hmm. I'm down for watch a movie. Um, that was her last film in 89, though. So think about that, though. She has been acting since 1950 or so. Hell, before that. So 40 years. Wow. That's a long career. It is. It is. Um, so let's rewind back to 1968. She just got divorced. Mm-hmm. All right. She met her second husband. Italian psychiatrist Andrea Dotti. Oh, yeah. She went Italian the second time, because why not? <laughs> I mean... Because why not, you know? You know, you only live once. He's cute. He's Italian. He's got a nice accent. Let's, let's... Fun. Good times. So at this point, she was thinking of retiring to have more children with her new husband and having more... Uh, and taking... What am I even saying? And having more children with her new husband. And so she did. Luca Andrea Dotti was born February of 1970. Oh, God dang it. Why didn't I name a baby Luca? You like Luca? Yes. I think it depends because I, I know some douchebag Lucas. It depends on the person. You see what I'm saying? Like, Luca could go either way. You can I go would raise way. a good... Well, I know a you. A good. <laughs> a good Luca. <laughs> I didn't drink that much. A good Luca. Yeah. No, I know you would. I'm just saying, like, the connotation. It's like Aiden. Oh, See what I'm saying? I don't like that name. Me either. Sorry, Aiden. Sorry, Aiden's. Sorry. It's just a personal preference. I didn't. If I had named you, you would not be Aiden. No. <laughs> if you only knew the names of my children, you guys. <laughs> I love it. Um, Especially the last one. <laughs> yes, true. Um, let's see here. Oh, so he was born in 70. So unfortunately during this marriage, though, they were both kind of unfaithful. Of course they were. It was just, it was like one of those things where... He's Italian. Yeah, but she wasn't faithful either. She saw this other dude. I know. So She's maybe it was famous. one of those... Yeah, yeah. That's was, the master for disaster. Just kind of one of those things. Like, I'm not judging. I'm not saying I'm not cheat judging. on people. Like, I'm, that's not good. I'm not judging. I'm but, just saying Italian famous. Yeah. <laughs> Put that in a blender and you guys... Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that's what it. you get. <laughs> so... Um, they did get divorced in 82, but their marriage lasts 13 years. So she's in it to win it. It's not like she's just like, she was 14 with the first one, 13 with the second one. Like she's just, she's, you know, letting her heart take her where it takes her and God bless, you know, she's living her best life. She is truly. Um, so from 80 until the end of the life, she had a relationship with Dutch actor, Robert Walders. So notice there was a little overlap there between her divorce in 82 and her, course there was yeah but that's again not judging by any means if anything i'm like get it <laughs> you know do you do you boo the best you you can be um in 1989 she spoke of him and she said the last nine years she spent with him were the happiest of her life and she considered them married just not officially so it seems like on the third one she kind of found peace with this other person like someone who kind of well i mean depending made. on where you are you kind of are married that's true. Yeah, you could do like the whole you're common, common law. law married, even if you're not married. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, so this is where Audrey's 
fucking badass and let's go back to her war days. Audrey Hepburn was a massive humanitarian, massive, especially later in life. She saw so much shit, she wanted to correct it and figure out a way to help in any way that you can. As you heard, she was part of the resistance. She put on concerts to raise money. The war ended in the 1950s. She narrated two radio programs for UNICEF from the 1950s. Wow, I didn't even realize UNICEF went back that far. I I didn't either. When I read that, I was like, wait, what? You know, because I was thinking it was more recent. Sorry, UNICEF. Yeah, no, but hey, the more you know. The more you you know. Um, when the two radio shows that she did back then were uh, retelling children's stories of war, so it was I'm sure very poignant and kind of a hey a statement on yeah which I'm sure in the fifties it depends on where she was doing this I think it was in Britain not everyone thought that the war was necessarily a bad thing i.e. you know America was doing very well after the war we're basically like hey we're number one we're the winners. And having to go back and hear that might have caused, you know, it may not have been a popular opinion at the time is what I mean. Yeah. Her telling stories of children having to experience war may have been a little controversial. Yeah. So in 89, she was appointed the Goodwill Ambassador for UNICEF. On her appointment, she stated that she was grateful receiving international aid after enduring the German occupation as a child and wanted to show her gratitude to the organization. For UNICEF, she went to Ethiopia, Turkey, Vietnam, and Somalia. And when she was in Somalia, she said, I walked into a nightmare. I have seen famine in Ethiopia and Bangladesh, but I have seen nothing like this. So much worse than I could have possibly imagined. I wasn't prepared for this. Um, So with her humanitarian Age, she brought a lot of awareness. I mean, just like really Angelina Jolie is a perfect example, kind of a correlation to nowadays what she was doing at that time. Mm-hmm. Love her or hate Angelina Jolie, the humanitarian work she does is fucking phenomenal and it really isn't about her. Like anytime she goes anywhere, she always redirects back to the charity, back to the people doing the actual work. And if anything, she's using her platform to bring attention, which I'm like, yes, get it. You know, because the more attention you, you can and support you can show these people with every eye in the world looking at you, the better. Right. You know? Um, our BFF George H.W., George Bush Sr. Oh, we love us some senior. We love a senior. I mean, he's all right. He was all right, I guess. Uh, he presented her with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Aww. I didn't know she got one. I didn't either. Right. I'm picturing this in my head, and I'm loving it. I know. I I want a photo. Go, go Google a photo. I wonder if... There has to be one, because uh. I take photos of those all the time. Hello, it, my other life, I was a PI. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and he, she got that for her work with UNICEF, obviously. If Let's I see could this. spell Bush, I could find it. <laughs> spell or find? <laughs> oh, look, she looks gorgeous. God, how does she age like that? How does anyone age like that? Y'all need to look this up. We'll we'll, we'll send it. We'll definitely download one of these links because God dang it. She's just beautiful. I mean, just throughout her life, just a beautiful person inside and out. I think that's it right there, right? Now, let's see here. No. That's oh, that's Jivashi. Okay. 
We'll find it. We'll see if we can find this a photo of, of the ceremony because that's really, really cool. Um, the After her death, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences posthumously awarded her the Jean Herschelt Humanitarian Award, again, for her contribution to humanity. Um, let's see here. Okay, so after her going to Somalia, which was one of her last missions to for UNICEF. She went to Switzerland and late September of 92, she began suffering from abdominal pain. So, and, oh, don't tell me something sad. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, while the initial tests were kind of inconclusive, laparoscopy revealed at Cedar sinai in LA, um, a rare form of abdominal cancer. No, yeah. I told you don't tell sorry. me something sad. I'm sorry. Um, so in 93, she did pass away in her home, in her sleep, which I feel like is a mercy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's honestly one of the, that's the way I want to go. I think it's the way everyone wants to go. Okay. I'm less sad since it's in her sleep. Right. Exactly. So it was not as painful considering the type of cancer that she had. Um, she was interred at Tolochan Ceremony in Switzerland. Um, so she is currently in Switzerland. So if any of y'all are out there in Switzerland, please send a photo of her grave. I would love to see that. And also just another reason to go to Switzerland and see what that's like. Um, in 2002, the United Nations Special Session on Children, UNICEF honored her legacy for humanitarian work by, unva by unveiling a statue, the Spirit of Audrey, at UNICEF's New York headquarters. Her service for children is also recognized throughout the U.S. Fund for UNICEF's Audrey Hepburn Society. Aww. Yeah. It gets even better. So, the American Film Institute named her third among the greatest female stars of all time. I mean, no shit. I mean, I don't even know why that's a question. She was one of the few with an ergot, with an egot. Ooh, there it is. Look at her. And Reagan, too. Yeah, because he was a vice at the time, correct? Yeah, H.W., and then he was vice, if I'm not mistaken. Let's see here. That's great. Um, so she has, she in her lifetime had an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. Um, actually, let me check on the grammy no i read she was only one of 15 that had an ergot okay yeah okay i was right i was like wait grammy yeah no okay because i was actually surprised by that because i know there's a few other people i think meryl streep and a couple other people have that but um i'm just wondering what she got a grammy for you know what i mean maybe moon river you know what it was was yeah probably from breakfast at tiffany's because that song went viral back in the day if it could go viral <laughs> Um, so get this, Sean Ferrer, her son founded the Audrey Hepburn Children's Fund in memory of his mother shortly after her death. The U.S. Fund for UNICEF also founded the Audrey Hepburn Society. Oh, spoken word album for children. Oh, she won for the Spoken Word Album for Children at the Grammy Awards in 1994. Got it. So it was right after she died. She got a Grammy. Got it. Okay. I was just curious. I was like, when did she get a Grammy? Um, 
So yeah, her son founded a, a children's fund. UNICEF also did uh, the society. And get this, so the Audrey Hepburn Society for UNICEF is chaired by none other than Luca. Her <gasps> son, Luca Dottie. Oh, yeah. I love Luca. So both her kids are doing this humanitarian work, carrying on their mother's legacy. Isn't that amazing? I told you Luca was good. <laughs> I know. Um, so the Hepburn Society celebrates UNICEF's biggest donors and has raised almost $100 million to date. Luca also became patron of the um, Suda de Soma Survivor Charity, dedicated to providing support to patients of the rare cancer that she suffered from. And the Rare Disease Ambassador since 2014 and 15 on behalf of the European Organization of Rare for Rare Diseases. So Audrey's legacy lives on, and I think it's really cool how not only, I mean, she's iconic, but and her films are iconic, her work is, but her two children are carrying it on, and like there's all these places where you can see all this incredible work that she's done and helped all these people. So yeah, that's my star mom, Audrey Hepburn. Good I job, I love that. I, I don't know if you know this, but I love Audrey Hepburn. Like I had a big thing in high school, like I really wanted to look like her. I even like cut my hair and got a dress like her, and yeah, it was a whole thing. I watched Funny Face all the time. I would just absorb her. And I didn't fully understand the idea of Holly Golightly, you know, at the time in high school because I was a sheltered child. And now knowing more about the story, I was like, she's fucking, it's so nuanced, her performance. Like, I used to think it was so campy. And now I'm like, no, it's like this whole thing of, I'm telling you what I am without telling you what I am. And like, my life isn't like your life because I I have to hustle to get where I need to go. And then this like bitchy ass writer comes into her life and basically is like, life is hard. And she's like, really, life is hard? Is it? Is it hard? Yeah. Tell me. You know what I mean? It's it's a really interesting, she had a really interesting take on it. But yeah, I love her. Good job. That made me happy. Did it? I found the video of George giving her the presidential. Oh, you did? I'll link the video on our on our blog. If anyone wants to watch it. Okay. This is the video. Because, oh man, that's that takes me back to seeing like H.W.'s face on a screen. Okay. This is like, this video is so old. I, I know. It just makes you realize how... I like how, just transported back in time. I know. It, it's weird how whenever you see an older film, you're like, God, this the, the quality of the camera was just trash. How do we watch this? Because we didn't know better. That's true. But damn, when we see better, you're like, oh, I'm never going back, baby. I'm never going back. We might. You don't know. Yeah, if tapes come back, mm, I don't know about that. I don't know how I feel about that. They're not great. Laser discs. That's what needs to come back. Hey, y'all, bring back laser discs. Those giant, like, massive. <laughs> you remember that? They were like a giant, like a wheel. You know what? If I can still watch my Shaws of Sunset and my Real Housewives, I don't care what form you give it to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure they're all recorded on Laserdisc for you from now on. Okay, thanks. Okay. You're the best. Perfect. Well, on that note, <laughs> thank you all so much for listening to us. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.
You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.